0: Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery.
1: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Jane Pauley is off this weekend. I'm Lee Cowan, and this is Sunday Morning. It happened in the deserts of New Mexico 78 years ago this very day. The first successful test of the most powerful weapon the world had ever known. J. Robert Oppenheimer was the mild-mannered physicist behind what was called the Manhattan Project, a team of scientists racing against time and the Nazis to develop the atomic bomb. A new movie, Chronicling the Man and the Event, opens this week. Reason enough to ask our David Martin to take us back to the dawn of the atomic age. He's been called the father of the atomic bomb, J.
2: Robert Oppenheimer. His dramatic and in the end tragic life just made into a movie by director Christopher Nolan.
3: Where would you rank Oppenheimer in history? I view Oppenheimer as the most important person who ever lived.
2: But splitting the atom was only half the story.
4: He shortly afterwards plunged into deep depression.
2: Coming up on Sunday morning, the spectacular rise and fall of Robert Oppenheimer.
1: Oppenheimer is just one of the blockbuster movies of this summer, which got us to thinking about the Hollywood blockbuster. Where does that tradition come from? Ben Mankiewicz offers us a crash course on movies going big.
5: It's one of the Ten Commandments for studio executives. Thou shalt spend more to make more.
6: There was this ongoing struggle to get people into movie theaters in the summer up until the invention of the blockbuster, which then starts to be associated with thinking of movies in, in a whole different way.
5: From Spielberg's nightmare to Barbie's dream house. The surprising history and risky business of blockbuster movies, later on Sunday morning.
1: Could you name the actor who starred in the three biggest box office movies of all time? Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, nope, Zoe Saldana. This morning she's in conversation with our Seth Doan.
7: One life ends, we see her made up in blue or green and often in another world.
8: As a little girl, when you grow up in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment in Queens with five other family members, you have books, you have movies, you go to so many places. Well, I wanted to go to space.
7: Acting took her there, but lately she's been navigating more earthly roles. Zoe Saldana, ahead this Sunday morning.
1: We'll have those stories, plus Tracy Smith explains what is really at stake in the strike by Hollywood's writers and actors. We have opinion from the author of the book, Sapiens, Yuval Noah Harari, and more. It's Sunday morning, July 16th, 2023, and we'll be right back. It's been said J. Robert Oppenheimer helped save the world by giving us the power to destroy it. David Martin reports on the Manhattan Project and the complex driven man in charge.
2: The world's first atomic explosion, July 16th, 1945, in the final weeks of World War II in the high desert of New Mexico. We're at ground zero right now. Alan Carr is the historian at the Los Alamos National Laboratory where the bomb was designed and built. The sand
10: melted in the fireball and rained back down to the ground where it re-solidified in the form of the mineral that we now call trinitite.
2: Trinitite after the name of the site, Trinity. Is that trinitite?
10: Yes, this is a piece of trinitite.
2: Recalling the moment 20 years later, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man history calls the father of the atomic bomb, said it brought to mind a line of Hindu scripture. Now I am
3: become death, the destroyer of worlds. I view Oppenheimer as the most important person who ever lived. Oppenheimer's story is one of the biggest stories imaginable.
2: Christopher Nolan has spent the last three years living in Oppenheimer's world. Writing and directing the movie Oppenheimer, opening this week.
11: I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon.
3: But we have no choice. And by unleashing atomic power, he gave us the power to destroy ourselves that we've never had before. And that changes the human equation.
2: Nolan filmed it all using an IMAX camera.
3: The only IMAX film would really be worthy of the the Trinity project, and this is what an IMAX film print looks like. So it's a giant frame there. Yeah. That's your regular. That's a 35mm. This is the actual film. It's 11 miles long, and it weighs 600 pounds.
2: Did you have qualms about what Hollywood would do to all your research? Uh, of course I did. <laughs> yes. Kai Bird is co-author of a Pulitzer Prize-winning
4: biography of Oppenheimer on which the film is based. It's complicated to take on a historic icon like Robert Oppenheimer and deal with the history faithfully and yet turn it into a cinematic experience. For high-stakes human drama, it's, it's hard to
2: improve on uh, the historical facts.
3: I know of no other story as dramatic as as Oppenheimer and his involvement uh, with the Manhattan Project.
11: All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done.
2: The Manhattan Project was the code name for the race to build the bomb. Played by Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer was teaching graduate physics when he was recruited by a gruff army general named Leslie Groves. don't take anything on trust. Played by Matt Damon.
11: How would you proceed? You're talking about turning theory into a practical weapon system faster than the Nazis. Who have a
1: 12-month head start. 18.
4: Oppie was then, you know, 38 years old, uh, never managed anything more than his graduate students, and yet Groves selected him.
2: What did... uh... Other people think of Groves' pick.
4: They thought it was outlandish.
2: (laughs) Besides his lack of experience, Oppenheimer had communist connections. It took
4: him a long time to get a security clearance. His own wife, Kitty, had been a member of the party for a long time. What did Groves think of that? He thought that Oppie was the one to lead this project. And it was a brilliant choice. He could see in Oppie the smarts and the charisma to bring all these scientists together in this secret city and make it happen.
10: Initially, uh, it was believed that it would only take about 130 people to get the job done here at Los
2: Alamos. That number grew to 1,700. Thrown together in what was then the Nowhereville of Los Alamos, the average age of the scientists was 29.
10: Boys and girls together, were there romances? There were, and that became somewhat of a security problem here because before the project, essentially no one was born in this area. All of a sudden you've got eight, 10, 12 children being born every month. How do you hide that? (laughs) Are there traces of the person he was around here? I mean,
2: there are a lot of martini glasses over there. The martini glasses, you'll see ashtrays. After shooting scenes in Oppenheimer's New Mexico home, Nolan donated the furnishings he had brought in to the Los Alamos Historical Society, but without the bugs placed by security officers suspicious of Oppenheimer's politics. Was he under surveillance in his own house? He was
10: being watched for much of his employment in different ways. Uh, For instance, his phone was tapped at various times, and when he would talk to Kitty, they would occasionally (laughs) make reference to the fact that they were probably being listened in on.
2: By the time Oppenheimer was ready to test what he called the gadget, Germany had already surrendered, but Japan fought on. This was literally life and death because of every day that was going on in the war. Thousands and thousands of more people were being killed. The gadget was hoisted to the top of a 100-foot tower, and the countdown began. Did he have any famous last words before the test? Uh, Oppenheimer supposedly said, Lord, these affairs are
10: difficult on the heart.
2: Mm -hmm. Oppenheimer was in a bunker 10,000 yards from ground zero.
10: There is a tremendous burst of light. You would have been watching it unfold in silence for dozens and dozens of seconds before the shockwave arrived imagine someone firing a pistol very close to you and somebody putting a leaf blower on high right in your face
2: three weeks after the test an atomic bomb was dropped on hiroshima then a second one on nagasaki we had split the atom we had changed the world the war was over and oppenheimer was the most famous scientist in the world but that is only half the story
4: he shortly afterwards plunged into deep depression. I think having read some of the news accounts of what had happened actually on the ground at Hiroshima and Nagasaki.
2: Oppenheimer had built the weapon that ended the war, but he had also created a monster, which he warned would one day cause the world to curse the names Los Alamos and Hiroshima. If there is another world war, this civilization may go under.
4: The national security establishment is appalled that the father of the atomic bomb is coming out in public giving speeches against these weapons.
2: Louis Strauss, the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, played by Robert Downey Jr., was bent on building more and bigger bombs than the Russians. And Oppenheimer was in his way.
11: The Russians have a bomb. We're supposed to be years ahead of them, but... what were you guys doing at Los Alamos? was it
4: security tight? Straws managed to draw up an indictment that made it appear that Oppie's advice was politically motivated, that maybe he was a subversive, that maybe he was a secret communist, that maybe he was a spy.
2: Meeting behind closed doors on Atomic Energy Commission security panel, heard evidence, some of it gathered from illegal wiretaps, of Oppenheimer's communist past. They voted against him.
4: It's a terrible tragedy because here America's foremost scientist, a great public intellectual, is put on trial and stripped of his security clearance and then humiliated He retreated
2: into academic exile at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey, home of Albert Einstein, who had tried to talk Oppenheimer out of fighting a battle he couldn't win.
4: Oppenheimer walks away from Einstein, and Albert Einstein turns to his secretary and says, there goes a nar, the Yiddish for fool
10: has it ever been rectified this past year december 2022 the department of energy formally vacated the entire clearance hearing the message there is that
2: this shouldn't have happened by then oppenheimer had long since passed away so he remains as the title of his biography says the american prometheus who stole fire from the gods and was tortured ever after but it's not a myth
11: and they won't understand it
10: until they've used it.
3: Oppenheimer was at the center of of a set of events that changed the world forever. Um, Like it or not, we still live in his world and and we always will.
6: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available...
1: Talk about a real life Hollywood drama. The nation's entertainment industry this weekend is beset with labor woes. Tracy Smith now on the issues and the impact.
12: It's a showstopper, all right. No actors. Both the Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild are on strike, and Hollywood is effectively shut down. The last time this happened was in 1960, when Ronald Reagan was president of the Actors' Union. The apartment was best picture.
0: So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my back
12: end. And the actors were holding out for more money in the form of residuals for movies shown on TV. 63 years later, with the industry facing severe economic headwinds, rising costs and shrinking movie attendance, the unions are again pushing for better pay. But this time, with streaming and other platforms disrupting the industry, they're also looking for some guarantees that new technologies, like artificial intelligence or AI, won't ruin their careers. For the record, some CBS News staff are SAG-AFTRA members, but they work under a different contract than the actors and are not affected by the strike. The writers have been out here since May. The actors joined them on the picket lines on Friday. And when the actors announced that they were going to strike, there was, as you might imagine, a whole lot of drama. We are the victims here. Actors Union president Fran Drescher.
0: I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are
12: treating us. The group that represents the studios, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, didn't respond to our request to appear on camera, but issued a statement saying in part that... The AMPTP presented a deal that offered historic pay and residual increases, substantially higher caps on pension and health contributions, audition protections, shortened series option periods, and a groundbreaking AI proposal that protects actors' digital likenesses for SAG-AFTRA members. They also said, the union has regrettably chosen a path that will lead to financial hardship for countless thousands of people who depend on the industry. So now the battle lines are drawn, and it seems neither side is ready to back down. On day one of the strike last week, Union President and former nanny Fran Drescher greeted the troops in front of the Netflix offices. She stopped long enough to tell us just what she thought of the people who run the studios.
2: We are being systematically squeezed out of our livelihoods into studios who say it's unrealistic what you're asking. It's not unrealistic. It's realistic. What the hell are we doing? Moving furniture around on the Titanic. We're all going down unless we rescue ourselves right here and now from people that really are doing
11: bad things to good people.
12: The Writers' Union is in much the same boat. They've watched their pay erode in the era of streaming TV.
3: You cannot turn down $50 for a $6 rye.
12: In years past, a staff of writers for network shows like Seinfeld would typically stay with the show throughout production, which could mean years of steady paychecks. Now they say streaming has cut the number of writers for each show and the length of time they're hired. In other words, it's harder than ever for them to make a living. Comedian Carol Leifer wrote for Seinfeld and even made an appearance now and again. That's her behind the reception desk. uh, You owe a hundred fifty. What for? Well, you canceled on Tuesday, and our policy is twenty-four hours notice for all cancellations. She remembers the old system of pay and residuals, the money they get for reruns, and she says they're fighting to get some of it back. I worked on Seinfeld 30 years ago, and I'm still receiving residuals from that. That's gone now. So it's a very, very different world that In today's environment, do you think you, you could launch the career the way you did back then, if that makes sense? I don't. No? No. Because they're not, they don't make enough. The studios say they've offered writers the largest pay increase in decades, but writers say it's still well below what they deserve. Screenwriter John August and TV showrunner Yalin Chang are negotiators for the Writers' Guild. They said that the increase that they offered the Writers' Guild mm-hmm. is the largest increase that they've offered new writers in 25 years. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: not enough?
7: Our friend Betsy Thomas, who's our secretary of treasurer, she says, if someone steals your wallet and then gives you uh, $5 back you're not five dollars richer. They still stole your wallet. And, uh, <laughs> and that's sort of what it feels like for the writers. It's like, you know, yeah, you can give us some of that money back, but that's still not making us whole.
12: And then there's the matter of artificial intelligence programs. Mm-hmm. Actors don't want their likenesses used without their consent, and writers want to guarantee that AI won't be used to generate scripts, for obvious reasons, but also because they say quality will suffer. You'll see very unoriginal, kind of mediocre, bad stuff, because
6: AI has never held a baby, AI has never fallen in love, you know, and so you'll end up with something stolen and
12: pretty bad. The studios say they're willing to talk about the use of AI, but have not ruled it out. If it's cheaper for ChatGPT to write a show, what's the incentive for studios to even bargain with the writers?
7: Uh, Well, that's exactly the core of the issue here.
12: Professor Robert Reich was Labor Secretary under President Clinton.
7: What's the incentive of CEOs to negotiate with workers when workers are losing power and workers can be replaced by AI or many other technologies? And the answer is... We have a country in which we depend on people having enough money to buy all the stuff that all of the companies create. And if they don't have enough money in their pockets to buy everything that is capable of being created, the economy can't function. So at some point, we've got to understand that we are all in this together.
12: And for most of the picketers we spoke with, money was the main issue. Jeanie Bergens had a number of TV writing jobs, but she's still living hand-to-mouth.
9: For the first time ever, after nine years of being a television writer, I applied for the food stamp program. Have you had people say, oh, maybe it's time to give up on your dream? I am a writer. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's the career that I have built. So I don't plan on giving up. I'm not going to give up. I've never given up a day in my life, so...
12: (laughs) Even before the strike, she says she was finding creative ways, like dog walking, to pay the bills.
9: And there's this idea that, oh, if you don't have money, you're lazy. My colleagues are some of the hardest working people I know, and we shouldn't be. Sorry. Okay. I'm not trying to live in a mansion out by Malibu. I just want to be able to pay my rent, pay my bills, and make sure that if I have a health crisis, I can afford to take care of myself.
12: The AMPTP says unions are to blame for shutting Hollywood down. The unions say they'd like to keep negotiating, but for now, they're letting their feet and their signs do the talking.
0: As everybody knows, if it ain't on the page, It ain't on
12: the stage, it ain't on the TV, it ain't in movies. So we don't want to be devalued. We want to be valued for the resource that we are. And uh, if I have to get a thousand more steps in, I'll do it, every day. And I
13: try with, you know, I always recommend people, have a funny sign.
14: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: If it's summer, it's also blockbuster season. Ben Mankiewicz is our man in Hollywood.
5: They may be the most famous two notes in Hollywood history. Directed by Steven Spielberg, just 26 years old, Jaws surfaced in the summer of 1975. John Williams's theme and those teeth scared families out of the water and into movie theaters becoming the blueprint for the modern blockbuster the way that shot is framed now it's so clear now what it's for like
6: even expecting it is such a shock
5: dana stevens is a film critic for slate
6: I was a kid when jaws came out but i remember that in primetime, every night there'd be you know these scary trailers for jaws on tv and so by the time it opened in the summer of 75 people were hyped
5: you're gonna need a bigger boat it was a blockbuster about summer set in summer about things that we totally associate with summer that was a
6: big part of it yeah. too right
5: 34 years after jaws avatar redefined the blockbuster so far it's earned $3 billion at the box office. The blockbuster has been good to Stephen Lang. Yes, it has. I'm very fortunate. A prolific character actor, Stephen Lang played the villain, Miles Quaritch.
11: I need to know how to force their cooperation or hammer them hard if they won't.
5: In Avatar, Hollywood's biggest money maker ever. It widened the array of choices yeah.
11: that I had. Look, one time they asked Robert Mitchum, I said, well, how do you choose your roles? And he said, well, I read what's
5: offered and accept the least embarrassing. <laughs> The formula established by Jaws, then exceeded by Avatar, is in theaters this summer. There's Mission Impossible. Indiana Jones. Oppenheimer. I don't know if we can be trusted. They all fit the definition of a big-budget, mass-marketed movie designed to make big money at the box office and beyond. The truth is the blockbuster is a concept, an idea, a strategy that Hollywood had been using for quite a few decades before 1975 when Jaws was released. Charles Ackland chronicles this cinematic business model in his book, American Blockbuster.
2: In broad daylight, mighty squadrons roar across
5: the North Sea. The term's origin story is no Hollywood tale. It came from the American military, the name of a devastating World War II bomb.
11: The blockbuster was initially the highest capacity explosive that had ever been used in warfare. And here is the 1943 US model
5: blockbuster. There was very, very high
11: public awareness of what this was.
5: Movie studios repurposed the word in the late 1940s and 50s, first as a way to sell films to theaters, later to lure audiences back from TV by promoting grand epics, often on a biblical scale. In 1959, the New York Times used the word blockbuster in its review of Ben-Hur. Of course, not all these epics succeed. There's 1963's Cleopatra. Who directed uh, Cleopatra? Escapes me. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it was my great-uncle, Joe Mankiewicz. Twelve years later, Jaws rewrote the rules. (laughs) For every big-budget blockbuster, there are nearly as many big-budget bombs. John Carter, The Lone Ranger, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, and famously, Ishtar.
6: (laughs) There's a great affection for Ishtar now, in part because of how poorly received it was at the time and how quickly it became just this joke.
5: Meanwhile, far less expensive sleepers hit the jackpot. Nobody could put dirty dancing in a corner. Released in the summer of 1987, it cost roughly six million to produce and returned more than 200 million.
6: This falls really into that niche about the the women's movie, a movie that focuses on a female character and her world that isn't sci-fi adventure, you know, doesn't have any violence in it and has massive,
9: massive appeal.
6: Cold shower.
5: Premiering next week, Barbie.
9: And my heels are on the ground.
8: <gasps> For
5: no! Directed by Greta Gerwig, similarly focused on a female character. So, Author Charles Ackland the believes the movie will sell much more than tickets.
11: What we are talking about here are these really gigantic uh, uh, investment opportunities. In the case of Mattel reintroducing
5: Barbie as a particular item of relevance to many different audiences for steven uh, lang so the, the key to turning a big budget film into a blockbuster comes down to a single sample, word an story. story i
11: think as a rule it's good to have a very simple narrative take et i would characterize et as a blockbuster although you know it doesn't have the huge huge scale but what it does have it's got the cutest alien ever created and the storyline is pretty simple i'm here i'm stuck and i want to go home
5: The fact is, what matters to movie lovers isn't the take at the box office, but what we take away from the film.
11: You just don't want to leech the art out of Hollywood. Think of the films that have come out of there, you know? They've been extraordinary, and they can't be just replaced by, you know, comic book characters and just huge stunt films, you know, from from end to
5: end.
6: Everybody who goes to the movies wants to either laugh or cry to experience intense emotions.
5: People want to see something move and they want to be moved. Right, something that moved really... in both senses. Right,
6: Moving on screen and moving, moving. something inside you.
14: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
8: No! Ah, what the hell? I know who you Just... are, Peter Quill, and I am not some story-eyed wait here to succumb
1: to your... your... Comic Sorcery. That's actor Zoe Saldana. She's thrilled us in some of the biggest Hollywood blockbusters ever made. Now she's branching out and in conversation with Seth Doan.
7: She stretches our imagination portraying characters from other worlds in Guardians of the Galaxy. And
8: how do you expect Star Trek when we're surrounded by Klingons, Captain?
7: and those multi-billion dollar franchises Avengers and Avatar Zoe Saldana has acted in so many sci-fi blockbusters that she's broken an earthly record the only actor to star in the top three grossing movies of all time it's interesting, maybe because of the types of parts that you've played and being green or blue. You
8: are very hard on
7: them. The name recognition for you isn't as high as some actors.
8: Yeah. Playing these characters has given me a life. I can take my kids to a coffee shop and and I'll be recognized, of course, sometimes, and sometimes I won't.
7: It's given you some anonymity. Yes. A New Yorker of Dominican and Puerto Rican descent, Saldana says she was drawn to science fiction since she was a kid, but worried it might restrict her career.
8: There was always that fear, like if I say yes, will I not be considered for other parts with other directors? And if you took um, these
7: sci-fi roles, you were worried it would have being a negative... typecast.
8: Yeah, and I was already being told of of a limiting career, being a woman of color, being a woman, and it's still it's still a wobbly. Genre, you know, within... What do you mean by that? It, well, you know, if... Uh, oh, you do those superhero movies.
7: But those superhero movies have been a boon.
8: I blink, and I was a part of the biggest franchises worldwide, and they've given me so much. But I, I still wanted to explore more. Watch it.
7: Which is what brought her to Morocco and the set of Special Ops Lioness. How much of this was... a? Uh, concerted effort to do something different?
8: I think it was the primary reason. Now you have a purpose, and it is
7: noble. In this spy thriller, out next week on Paramount+, Plus, a division of our parent company,
8: Neutralize a target.
7: Saldana plays a CIA station bed, chief. I just
8: dropped a missile on it's it. It's one more item I get to check off my bucket list.
7: What's that item?
8: Taylor Sheridan.
7: Sheridan is also the producer behind the hit series Yellowstone and its prequels. He was the attraction to this?
8: Yes, and Nicole Kidman. There were a lot of items in this bucket list and Morgan Freeman and, um, and wanting to challenge myself. And I wanted to see if I had it in me.
7: She plays the lead role, a mom with a demanding job. I think
8: it's pretty healthy, these snacks. Do you want a banana?
7: It's a familiar juggle for this 45-year-old who has three children with Italian artist Marco Perego Saldana. The day we met, oh, we'll they were on set along with her in-laws.
8: Can
7: we have a cookie? you could ask your mom. Yeah, and, and we'll
8: just keep an eye on you. Yep. Oh my God.
7: It was a similar scene when we met later in Paris where she was filming. Saldana was nine when her father died. Her mother, Aselia Nazario, worked sometimes as a hotel housekeeper to raise Zoe and her two sisters. We
12: pray for God to guide them and to, and to make their dreams come true. And Zoe's dreams were very, very big, so I prayed harder for her.
7: <laughs> Dania runs a production company with her sisters, promoting underrepresented storylines. She acknowledges her own missteps when it comes to representation. after portraying music legend Nina Simone in the 2016 biopic Nina. She faced harsh criticism for wearing a prosthetic nose and makeup to darken her skin.
8: I should have never accepted the part. I am black. Nobody will ever tell me how to be black. But as a person of Afro, Latino and African heritage, I I have to understand just how complex this conversation needs to be in order for me to propel accurate portrayals of women of color.
7: I read through interviews earlier on where you were supporting the decision to portray her. It seems that you were thinking on this really evolved through the controversy.
8: Yes, I was being attacked so aggressively and my instinct was to protect myself Uh, it's very frightening when you're bullied to the extent that i was also i grew up listening to her and i felt that she did sing to me because if i don't fit in that world what other world was i going to fit in definitely not the white world So it was um, it was very isolating and very painful and scary and um, but then growth comes from that.
7: Why do you think it touches you so much all these years later?
8: Um. Because I love Nina Simone still. I would love to. I would love to be able to listen to her music.
7: You stopped listening. Why?
8: Because I felt some. felt I had hurt her.
7: Saldana told us she's sensitive to making sure there are opportunities for all, having experienced her own casting rejections.
8: It was always in a very mild form of like, oh, the director really liked you, but he's he wants to go traditional.
7: What, what do you think that meant?
8: It just meant that I wasn't American-looking. I wasn't white. You but go- obviously they don't say it like that. They just, they would say... Well, but the director wishes to just keep it traditional.
7: It led her to that genre, which captured her attention from the beginning.
8: Well, what are, what are the genres, you know, where I can go around that? Action, science fiction. They call this a gimbal.
7: For now, they she's focusing on more terrestrial roles, camera so on camera, driving, camera and off.
8: Fall. And it doesn't shake.
7: The family is My husband is usually here. Um, big also, part of when he's not
8: working, he's here. And when I'm not working, I'm there in his studio. We tend to take great pride in living our lives as, as true artists.
7: Cool. I'll go let you make your
1: art.
8: Thank you! <laughs> Bye! <laughs>
1: <laughs> After another week of anti-government protests in Israel, our commentary comes from noted author Yuval Noah Harari, He explains why he thinks Israel is at a tipping point, and why that's a concern for us all.
13: As a proud citizen of Israel, I am deeply concerned that my government is trying to establish a dictatorship. Many dictatorships in history were established not by tanks firing in the streets, but by signing papers behind closed doors. By the time people understood what was happening, it was too late to resist. To understand what is happening in Israel, you need to ask just one question. What limits the power of the government? In the USA, there is an entire system of checks and balances. In Israel, we have no constitution, no senate, no federal structure, and no other check on the power of the central government except one, the Supreme Court. Now, the government is trying to gain control of the Supreme Court. If it succeeds, there will be no mechanism that limits its power. Coalition members have already proposed numerous laws and regulations that discriminate against Muslims, Christians, women, LGBTQ people, and secular people. They are only waiting to take control of the Supreme Court, and then they could unleash this dictatorial flood. Also, with the Supreme Court neutralized, the government could easily rig the elections, for example, by denying Arab citizens voting rights, or by closing down all independent media outlets. Israel will still hold elections, just as Russia holds elections, but it will become a dictatorship. This should be a grave concern, not just to Americans who care about democracy or about the Jewish people. The USA might soon have to deal with a new militaristic dictatorship in the Middle East, armed not only with nuclear capabilities, but also with advanced cyber weapons able to strike anywhere in the world. The people of Israel are struggling to save our democracy. Please stand with us.
1: I'm Lee Cameron. Thank you for listening and please join us again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
10: When you're committed to raising the standard, you're bound to ruffle some feathers. At Happy Egg, we like to say we farm differently. But in reality, we produce eggs the way people used to, by partnering with local small family farmers who raise our happy hens on eight or more acres. Because in our opinion, farming shouldn't be complicated. It should be happy. Choose happy with Happy Egg. Visit happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg.
4: I've been a reporter for more than three decades. And along the way, I've been talking to myself in notebooks I've carried in my back pocket. They've captured thoughts about life, parenthood, death, friendship, and more. I'm John Dickerson, and I'd like you to join me in figuring out what these 30 years of notebooks mean in my new podcast, Navel Gazing. Each episode, we dig through the piles of notebooks that I've been collecting, and from their entries, try to sort out
3: what makes a life. This collection of audio essays is available wherever you get your podcasts.